Jewish audio on Kabbalah.org. With Mazel Ubracha, we begin book 12 of the 14 books of Mishnah Torah, Mazel Tov. The Rambam begins this book as he does every book with a verse that incorporates the theme of the book. This book is called Sefer, the book of Kinyan, acquisition. So the verse that Rambam chooses is a verse which says, a verse from Proverbs, Mishlei chapter 4, verse 7, Reishis, Chochma, the beginning of wisdom, Chochma, acquire wisdom. This, I believe, is part of the message that a father tells his son in the wisdom of King Solomon. In the beginning of the process of acquiring wisdom, acquire wisdom. And in all of your acquisitions, acquire understanding. So the Rambam connects wisdom and understanding to acquisition. And this is Sefer, the book of King, and acquisition. Who and it is, Sefer Shnei book 12, Hilchais of Kamishit's laws are five. Cinco. And this is the order of the laws. We begin with Hilchas Mechira, the laws of selling, selling and buying. You know, life is part of selling and buying. How do you sell and how do you buy? At what point in time have you sold? And at what point in time have you bought? At what point in time can you return? Can you say, never mind? Buyer's remorse. Torah law. Hilchais the laws of Acquisition, umatona, and gift. You give somebody a gift. I changed my mind. Never mind. Can you become an Indian giver? When do you acquire the gift? Here, Mamala, I love you. Here's a million dollars. Never mind. That could cause competition to the heart. Hilcheshchenim. Category three of laws are the laws that affect neighbors. Like a good neighbor, state for no. Hilcheshluchim, the shutofin, the next law. The law of shluchim, proxies, agents. Shutofin, partners. What does the Torah have to say about partners? Partnership. And finally, Hilcheshavodim, during the time when the world was a world in which slavery existed, acquiring servants, which by Torah law, as we will learn, the Torah imposed many, many, many laws which the Jewish people practiced in being kind to servants and sensitive, etc., etc., and not merely treating them as the rest of the world opened it as property. So we have the law of how do you acquire a servant, how do you liberate a servant, etc., etc. Those are the five categories. Now, mitzvahs and the commandments and the is incorporated by him within them. The Foroshes are specified, by their names, in their places. Five categories. We begin now with category one. The laws of selling, of course, buying. Yes, the Rambam says in this introductory statement in general there are chamesh mitzvahs. Within this law there are five commandments. Achas mitzvahs, I say, one positive commandment, and four negative commandments. And this is a particular law. The positive commandment stated in the Torah is Aleph, Din, Mekach, Umimkar, the laws of buying and selling. What does it mean by Jewish law, by Torah law, to buy and sell? What's the moment of acquisition? Not to cheat when buying and selling. You can't be a dishonest seller or buyer. Three, as an offshoot, the Torah tells us, do not cheat with words. There's a word for it today. It's called verbal abuse. Or do not be dishonest with words. Do not lie, even though it's not going to affect the dollar. There's a special mitzvah, over and above the previous mitzvah, not to cheat a convert, one who joins the Jewish people, with his finances. You can't say, well, you know, he just converted. I don't have to be honest with him. Yes, you do. You have to be honest with everybody. And hey, this is again an outgrowth, very important mitzvah. Do not cause a convert discomfort by verbal abuse. We have to verbally be sensitive. Now, as we will learn, we have to verbally be sensitive to everybody, especially a convert. You can't say, hey, you know, you're a big man, you got the dollars over your head. You know, a few weeks ago you were worshiping idols. Not appropriate. That's an outgrowth of dishonesty and cheating. So we have buying and selling, not to cheat in buying and selling, not to even verbally cheat, not to especially cheat a convert, not even to taunt a convert. They are the explanation of these commandments in these chapters. So here we have the beginning of a beautiful section. Aleph 1. The big question is, at what point in time does the sale occur? Hamikoch, an article which is acquired, acquiring stuff verbally is nothing. Verbal acquisition means nothing. And even if there were witnesses, it happened in part two, or a hundred witnesses, case for example, one person says to the other, I'm selling you this house. I'm selling you this wine. He says, I will, we will sell no wine before it's time. The time is now. I'm selling you this wine. I'm selling you this servant. Whatever the situation is, and they agree to the price, a thousand dollars, a hundred dollars, a million dollars, one dollar. The seller laid out the terms. The buyer says, I like it. The owner says, Konisi, done, I bought it. It's mine. The seller wants. The says, Macharki, sold, bought, bought them to. The they said to witnesses, be witnesses, testify, that so and so sold, and so and so bought. It's done, says the Rambam in Jewish law. It's worth nothing. 
It's not a gunish. Worthless. Okay, the word of Elam says if they never spoke. Because that's not the way you affect an acquisition. The exact same law applies when it comes to gifting and receiving gifts. Somebody says, I'm giving you a million dollars. The guy says, I accept. Your witnesses. Yeah, yeah, Torah law says, nada. Why? Because there was no act of acquisition. However, if the purchase was acquired, with one or more of the avenues, of the, of the approaches, which you can acquire this particular object, then the buyer acquired. And you don't need witnesses. Witnesses are not necessary for sales. I mean, the only time you need witnesses is if somebody says it never happened. But if they both agree it happened, witnesses contribute nothing. And if an acquisition was done, we're going to speak about what an acquisition is in different scenarios, then no one can regret. Now, let's move forward to our time, America. You go to a fancy department store, or a not-so-fancy store, a reputable store. You buy something. You have a receipt. I buy a mink coat. Ah, not a mink coat. I buy a very expensive coat in Bloomingdale's for $25,000. I come back in four weeks. I say, you know, I don't know. I don't like this coat. Okay, here's your $25,000 back. What do you mean? Why should they give me the money back? Well, they have a return policy. Or sometimes you go into a schmate store, and they say, oh, sales are final. No return. No lecking, no schmacking. No returns. Or you buy a house. You buy a car. There's a swift used car salesman. Is there a buyer's remorse clause? Is there a buyer's remorse clause in real estate? These are the issues which we're examining here right now. When is and when isn't? What does it mean to acquire in Jewish law? So he says, I'm glad you asked. Gimel, how is a purchase and acquisition affected? So it depends what the acquisition is. Let's begin with the very basic acquisition called real estate. Hakarkois, land, real estate. There's only three ways to acquire real estate. One of three things. One is the money. You pay the money. Hey, or, and we're just getting into this. There's a lot more qualification, a lot more details. Vishtar, you have a document, a bill of sale, a contract. You know, in California, we say we entered into escrow. In New York and in other states, they say we entered into contract. Contract. Oh, Vishtar, a document, a bachazoka, or manifesting an act of ownership. We did, the buyer did something to show ownership. Now that Rambam defines, Dalit for. Ketab Kesef, what does Kesef mean? What is money? How does money work? Machalei Bayis, if the seller sold the buyer a house. Machalei Sadi sold the field. The house was $100,000. The bill was $100,000. He gave him the money. Paid. Kono, he acquires it. When does it apply that just handing over the money is a full acquisition of property? If in the locale, in the place where the sale took place, there isn't a mandatory, except the custom, of writing the bill of sale, of writing a document, a contract. But if you're in a locale, in a place, where the custom, the prevailing custom is, you have to write a contract, a bill of sale, an agreement. It doesn't acquire until this contract is written, until this bill of sale is written. Aye, the money was paid. Well, in this county, you also need a, a, a document. Now, how much does the sale have to be for? The answer is at least one pruta, at least the lowest denomination of currency, one penny, so to speak. You can never have real estate in the worst of neighborhoods, even an inch of real estate purchased for less than a pruta. So these are introductory principles. Hey, details. He's not like that. What if the buyer took out a condition, the owner stipulated and said, in Ratzisi, the buyer says, listen, my friend, if I want to, it's up to me. If I desire, I'm going to effect this purchase with money. Or if I want to, I'll use a document, a bill of sale. It's up to me. It's my choice. And it's in a place where a sale of property can take place without a document. And then he paid money. And he said, hey, my stipulation, I said money alone could work. Then it's a final sale. The seller can't say, hey, you said either money or contract. You gave only money. I want to cancel the sale. He said, no, no, no. This was the buyer's choice. The seller had no choice in this particular agreement. Because that's the way the agreement was brought up, was made. On the other hand, the buyer can back out until the document is read because it was his option. He says, I can do both. Even though he paid, he can say, I wanted, I thought about it, I want to affect the sale with the document. 
the same exact situation applies if the buyer, if the seller rather, made this choice. I will affect the sale either by money or by document. It remains his choice, and the buyer forfeited his opportunity. Now the plot thickens. What if person A says to person B, can one of the plainly give money, give $100,000 to person C? And when you give $100,000 here to Moshe, to person C, you, I will convey my house to you. How does this work? I give another person money, and I get your house? The answer is yes. Because obviously there's a desire within person A that person C ends up with money. How does the technical law work, function? Being that he gave the money to, to C, the Moshe, he acquires, person B acquires the house. This is an extension of the laws of a guarantor. How is it if person A makes $100,000 loan to person B, and person C guarantees that person C has to pay? Because there is something called a guarantor. What's a guarantor? A third party that gets involved in the acquisition, in the agreement. So also, in the case where person A says to person B, give money to person C, the acquisition takes place. The law, an extension of the law of guarantor. So we've learned the various scenarios of Kesef, of money. Just to repeat. Money was paid. The acquisition is done, assuming that in that particular place, it is acceptable to do that. But in that particular place, a document is always drawn up, then the deed is not done until a document is drawn up. Now we get to choice two of three. How does the document acquisition work? If he wrote on a piece of paper, or on a shard of earthenware, even on a leaf. And our sages say that generally speaking, contracts which have to last for a long time should not be written on leaves or shards because they can easily be erased. But here we're not talking about writing a contract for a long time. Here we're talking about effecting this deal and then maybe next week another contract will be written. We're talking about is this an acquisition? It's a different than a lasting contract. What are the words written? Sodai nesunalach. My field is given to you. Sodai mechurulach. My field is sold to you. Kibishi giyashad liyadikon. As soon as the document reaches the hand of the one who acquires, he acquires. Even though there are no witnesses, I mean, if there are witnesses, it's better. But you don't need witnesses. Even though you say, "Where's the quick recall? What is this document worth? It's worth nothing. The document doesn't have to be worth anything. It represents an agreement. Qualification. When does this apply? Also, if the field is sold because it's a lousy field, and with a lousy field, the seller finally found the buyer. He wants to affect it. Chick shock. One, two, three. He doesn't want any returns or regrets. Normal fields, even though the document of sale reached the hand of the buyer, even there were witnesses, it's not an acquisition until he pays the money. Which means that although theoretically, by Torah law, you can argue and say that contract itself is enough, document itself is enough, only in a dire situation, only in a fire sale, in an urgent sale, not in a normal sale. In a normal sale, there has to be money. And by the way, when we talk about money, does the entire money have to be paid? No. Some of the money could be paid and some of the money could be structured as a debt. It's like in our world. You can have an owner carry mortgage. In the case where the bank gives the mortgage, all the money is paid to the seller. Sometimes the owner carries back. It's not a problem. But it has to be clearly documented. That's not what we're learning here. Just, that was just a parenthetical comment. Okay, Kate said about choice three in acquiring a real estate. How does the idea of chazoka, which means I do certain stuff, which manifests ownership, a very important part of Jewish law. I act like it's mine. I make like it's mine. I do things that one would only do in one's own property. For example, Machalei buys, he sold him a house. Machalei sold him a field. Or he gifted him. Being that he went and locked it up. I guess the property was open. He now locked it. A god or he put up a gate, or he fixed a gate. A porat, or he breached open, he widened the entry. Kosher even a little. All of those are acts of acquisition, provided that the acts which he affected were beneficiary. They were helpful. And he said, then he acquired. Because it's helpful if you lock the property. It's helpful if you widen the entry. It's helpful if you gate the, the, the area. Now, when do any of the above acts have any meaning and significance? If these acts were done in full view of the seller or donor. But if the seller or donor is in Hawaii and I'm in New York, and I put up gates on the property in New York. Not in the presence of the seller, or the one who's gifting, doesn't help. Unless, the seller must say to the buyer, go, do something that manifests, that manifests acquisition and acquire. And again, if this is a dispute, it would have to be said in front of witnesses. And only then, in if he did so, and did these acts, he acquires, even though the owner's not there, because he told him, 
What if somebody sold a house to another? He did a very important thing. He gave him the key. You know the question? When do I get the keys? Well, when do I get the keys? Getting the key is important. Giving someone the key is tantamount to saying to him, Go, acquire, and it's yours. Go, manifest an act of acquisition, and it's yours. Handing over the key is tantamount to that. If somebody sells a cistern, which was used to store wine or oil or what have you, that the drawing pail which comes along with the cistern from which you take stuff out or put it in or rather say the permanent cover which covers and uncovers the cistern was handed over to the buyer go manifest an act of acquisition and you have acquired when he did it he acquired so that is the beginning of this definition what do we mean when we say that somebody acquires by locking a property he sold a house a or a courtyard and the gateway the entry was unlocked and the buyer closed up and locked up the entry and then he again Opened it. There's a lot of discussion. Why is he again to open it? Because some will say that he's doing a favor and he's just closing it. So that he has to come full circle. Others disagree. This is considered an act of manifestation, of acquisition, and he has acquired. Because he did something practical. Locking up a place, installing a lock system is helpful. What do we mean that we say in closing the property, even Paquito, even a little bit, is an act of acquisition? There was a fence. There was a fence. What kind of fence? A little one. You can walk right over the fence. And he added a little bit to the fence. And he made it 10 hand breaths. Ten hand breaths. Give me the comments where we have the measurements. I believe it's about 40 inches. And now we can only ascend over that gate with difficulty. You know, if we're talking about 40 inches, you can climb over 40 inches. But it takes some effort. It helps, and he does acquire. Let me just quickly take a second, according to the Kehos Chumash, and give you the exact. Tefach, 3.15 inches. So that's 31 and a half inches. So also if there's a breach. And you could enter into the property, but you've got to kind of squeeze through. And he widened it a little bit where you could walk in without squeezing. That's another helpful act where he took possession of this object, the meaning of chazaka to manifest possession. Now, what is the, the, how helpful can a gate, a barrier of 31 and a half inches, it's under three feet? The answer is everybody sees clearly that you're violating, uh, you know, it's not so easy to climb over three feet unless you're, so we're not talking about six feet. Or, you'd base, 12, he placed down a rock in a way that it caused a benefit. For example, placing the rock in that position brought irrigation water into the field. A novel for example, he removed the rock from a pivotal position. And he now brings irrigation water or keeps the irrigation, whatever the situation is. But it's beneficial. He opens up the gateway for water. That's also an act of acquisition of taking possession. Anything similar. What if somebody sells a field to someone next door? So now the buyer purchased a field adjacent to his own. He gifted him a field next door. So it's easier. To take possession, even should Dorsha Sametzer being that he knocked down the separation wall, should basically also the separation gate fence between the two. And now she's saying they both became like one field corner. That's an act of acquisition as well. I will just him Holochbal Orkel Rock, just walking the length and breadth of it. As it says in the Torah, God said to Abraham, Walk the length and the breadth of this land, I'm giving it to you. And he looks at my uncle, this is a nice Bible story, but this is not a, a, an act of acquisition. However, but if he sold him a path for vineyards, a guy has vineyards and he sold him a pathway. The pathway is what he's selling him. This pathway is made for walking, then walking the pathway is an act of acquisition. You doubt for the Kamashi Rechal, how much of this. Pathway is acquired by walking. If there was gates around it, a fence around it, Kona then he acquires as long as he walked it and it is as wide, I'm sorry, then he acquires it. He should be able to lift his foot and put another foot down next to it. That's the minimum width. That's called a walkway. In other words, it's a tight walkway, but it's a walkway. But if there are no boundaries, so you can kind of have more space, then it has to be wide enough to carry a package of twigs on his head and then make a U-turn with the package of twigs on his head. What if it was an area which was rocky, and you can't really do much with it. Shame by the God of the and there is no fence in the opening. You can't plant. What could you do to take possession? What can you do to manifest possession? So then the act of acquisition of possession would be spreading out produce there, using it for storage of produce. Parking his animal there. Okay, it's about something similar. Mishar Tashmish, other practical uses. Somebody sells this field to another. And the buyer enters. Uzra, he planted the field. 
I know I plowed the field. I should also pay the gathered produce from trees. I more pruned it. anything similar. any of the above acts acquires. Shari has it because he took possession. That's an act of manifestation of possession. No one could regret. No one could say, never mind, I didn't mean it. I planted, I pruned, I plowed. If the buyer gathered a basket of produce, he said, here, my friend, you are the buyer, enjoy. That's another form of acquisition. And he acquires. Shall he give a diet because the buyer revealed his mind? That he gave him, that he conveyed his field to him, a conveyance. And its fruits, its produce now became his yudzayin. These laws are laws from Jew to Jew of acquisition. When it comes to Jews and non-Jews, the question is again, what's the prevailing custom out there? Ha'akum, an idolater. An idolater does not have the ability to acquire property by manifesting his ownership over it like a Jew. Now, he says here in a note, quoting the Magid Mishnah, one of the commentators, the reason simply is that there were periods of time with Roman occupation and so on when bad guys would come and do all kinds of acts of acquisition. The fact that it was my field meant nothing. You know what I'm saying? Because I have a shotgun and you don't got one. This land is my land. It isn't your land. So, when we're talking about, says Halacha, a non-Jew being that there were times when people would just bully and do whatever they wanted to, our sages instituted acquisition should not work. That's, again, an historical perspective. You go back to the previous halacha where we stated, you need a contract, you need a document, and you need money. Otherwise, who's going to say that the non-Jew did not just bully his way in? As many of them did during many periods of history in Israel. Furthermore, when a Jew represents the non-Jew, he has the same law as the idolater. And again, we talk about the background of this particular law according to the notes here. Now, anything attached to the ground, such as produce, is like the earth. Attached to real estate is real estate. The nickname is acquired. A bekesh of either money, a or document, a bechazaka or act of acquisition. But if the item no longer requires the earth, what's an example of an object that no longer requires the earth that may even still be attached? There are grapes, but they're ready to be picked today. They don't need the ground. The kingdom should be treated like movable objects and should be governed by the laws of acquisition for movable objects, which we have not yet touched. We didn't get there yet. So far, we've only dealt with real estate. The Ashlam and and here we touch upon a very interesting law. We touched upon this earlier. We will touch upon this in very great land that by Torah law, pricing of Buying and selling is governed by market value. If the buyer or seller pays an excess or less than a sixth of the value, then it's not a kosher acquisition. It's cheating. So if the object, let's say you're buying an animal, or you're buying a team of animals, and this team of animals are worth $600, and you get them for $4.99, which means a dollar less than a sixth of the value, you get a $101 discount, it's not kosher. Because someone took advantage of someone. Or if you pay for a $600 team of animals, more than $700. More than a sixth. That is only applicable in the laws of movable objects, such as an animal. There is a rule that says, Ain ona'a bakarka. There is no cheating when it comes to real estate. With real estate, if you overpay or underpay, you buy more, you never get cheated in real estate. Sooner or later, you're going to hit your value. As they say in Southern California. Let's face it, they ain't making any more land between here and the ocean. Ain ona'a bakarka. There is no cheating. Now the question is, these grapes are attached to the karka. Is there cheating or not? Well, even if they're about to be harvested and still attached, but because they're about to be harvested, there is the laws of Ona of the sixth, which we're going to learn about. Now that I'm just as, that just as real estate is acquired through the three processes of money, document, and manifestation of acquisition, rental and leasing of land. Mikna is acquired because of Lavade with money alone, or document alone, or an act of manifestation of acquisition, as we talked earlier. And no one can undo this agreement. It's done. And in fact, the commentaries say that even though earlier we said that sometimes we need both. Money and document. When it comes to leasing or renting, the law is more liberal. Even one should work. Yutas. Now comes an interesting law. As we work towards the end of this chapter, 19 out of 20. If somebody sells 10 fields, the Eser Medina is in 10 countries, in 10 states, in 10 counties. You have a seller and a buyer, and he has a field in Encino, and in Tarzana, and in Beverly Hills, and in Chicago, and in Greece, and in France. And he wants to sell a whole basket of properties. Well, what's the deal? I'm in Encino. You're in Encino. I'm selling you properties all over the world. 
The law is you make a manifestation of acquisition. You put up a lock, you put your fix, you hockey clock, and one field, you acquire them all. Even if one field, even if one piece of real estate was a mountain, and the other was a valley, well, mountains are very different than valleys. Nevertheless, real estate is real estate. You can argue and say it should not be acquired with it because the usage of mountains and the usage of valleys are vastly different. Being that he makes this act of acquisition in one of them, he now acquired a whole basket of properties. And of course, my guess would be that you need clear documentation or witnesses or what have you. When does this apply? But we're not talking about requiring a particular document unless it's the custom. When does this apply? Only if he paid for all the properties. But if he didn't pay for all these properties all over the world, well, tough. He only acquires the properties that he paid for. I guess you can't uh, hedge your money. If he goes there for him, in a place where there is no money, exchanging hands, if it's a gift, by manifesting acquisition in one of them, he now acquires all of them. The same goes with leasing, renting, which we said earlier is more liberal. He does an act of acquisition of possession with one of them. He acquires them all, calls Manasquitas for the term of the lease. The reason the law is more liberal is because it's only a term. It's for a day or a week or a month or a year or what have you. If there was a mix in the basket, some were being sold, some were being leased. Being that he made this act of acquisition, whether in sale or in leasing, he acquires all of them, provided that he paid for all the properties that were purchased. And this would mark the end of chapter 1. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilcha is the laws of Mechira, selling or selling and buying, Pedic Sheni, chapter 2. In chapter 1, we establish the principle, and I'll repeat it. When somebody buys something, or somebody sells something, at what point in time is the sale final? What if one of them has buyer's remorse or seller's remorse? At what point in time can one unilaterally say, never mind? It's a good question. So, in chapter 1, we learned about the acquisition of real estate, real property. And we learned that real property can be acquired in finality in one of three ways. One of three ways. Kesef, either by money, and we learned a lot of details, a lot of caveats. If there's a place where a contract is also written, you need a contract. Or by contract, and if there's a place where money has to be paid, you need to pay the money as well. Or by doing something to the property which shows ownership, such as replacing the locks or building a fence or tearing down a wall, whatever the deal is. And that is, in general terms, with a lot of details, which I'm not going to go into, what we learned in Chapter 1. Now, that is real estate, but there are many other categories which one, we need to know how to acquire. And again, these are business laws. As we know, when we studied the Rambam, when we studied the Rambam for all this time that we're studying, the Rambam focuses on the issue at hand. He doesn't focus on side issues. Now, we are going to learn within the laws of acquisition about acquiring servants. There was a time, tragically, there still is a time, where many, 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 many millions of people are enslaved. But you don't find it at the top of the newspapers, tragically, although you should. But there was a time that the world functioned in a world of say, slavery and servants, and this came as a result of war. You lose the war, to the victor goes the spoils, including the people. We're not going to go into the morality of that, and thank God, in most civilized countries, it's against the law today. Even when it was the mode of life, the Torah really regulated what one may do, what one may not do, in a very humane and compassionate way. This is not the place for it. Here, we're simply studying about the laws of acquisition. So let's narrow the focus, although there's a lot more to be said. So now we segue into chapter 2. Evet Kanani, a Canaanite servant, by and large, acquired in an act of war, for the purposes of legal laws of acquisition, the same law applies as above real, to real estate. He is acquired technically, either through money, or for example, buying and selling, or contract documents, or by establishing ownership with an act of ownership. Now we know when it comes to land, the act of ownership is you take down a wall, you put up a wall, you broaden, you open, you close. What is that with regard to a servant? What would be the technical manifestation of acquisition in the idea of chazoka, an act of ownership? The answer is, making use of this servant in a way, having the servant do things that servants do for their masters. And in Torah law we learn that there are certain things that servants do for masters, such as tying their shoes. It says, when somebody needs his shoes tied, his servant can do it or his child can do it, his son or daughter, that's a mitzvah. 
but an employee should not be told to tie shoes is demeaning. So that's an example of something that a servant does or carrying his bag of clothes to the bathhouse. That's again something that traditionally in that culture a servant did. I guess today we would say, handing you your spa towel and your shampoo in the spa. <laughs> for example, if he undid his shoe or did his shoe, he tied or untied his shoe, or he carried his personal effects to the bathhouse, he undressed him, or he put oil on him, which is also a, a, an act which a, a servant does. Or, he combs his hair or his skin, or he clothed him, or he picked up his master. All of these are forms of chazaka. Kona he acquires. So also there's another way of doing this. If the master picks up the servant, that's another form. Kona then he acquires. So these are acts of acquisition as it relates to the technical acquisition of a servant. Gimelt, Kofe, what if he pushed him, and brought him closer to him? Kona, that's another act of acquisition. Sheho Avodim, because servants, Niknin, are acquired. Bimeshicha, withdrawing. The word Meshicha is one of the famous acts of acquisition. You draw whatever object you are acquiring towards you. For example, when somebody buys an animal or somebody buys movable property, produce, you draw it close to you. The same thing applies with this servant. Avo, however, in the case of a servant, in Korola Ebed, if he called him, and as a result of his verbal request or command, Oboetzli came to him, that doesn't count. Because as we will learn, a servant is a human being with free choice. You call him, he comes. We're talking about acquisition here. Or his first master told him, I'll go to the buyer, but he went. That's not an act of acquisition, because his master is telling him, go to the buyer, he'll go. Until he pulls him with strength, with force. In other words, his act brings the servant close. Or he will make use of him in one of the above ways. As we explain. So that's the form of acquisition. What if he made this act of acquisition not in the presence of the master, not in the presence of the seller, then obviously not in the presence of the master, you could do whatever you want to. So it has to be in his presence. Or the master can tell him the famous words, go do something, which is an act of acquisition, and acquire, so that's a command. Again, we're learning about the technical manners of acquisition of a servant. What about a minor servant? What is the deal? Are the same laws applicable as they are to an adult? He says no. For the purposes of this, the laws are as if one would be acquiring an animal. And the acquisition can only be done in the manner the same laws as we will learn and did learn with regard to the acquisition of one animal or a flock of animals. As well as partially also having the laws applicable to adult servants. Therefore, that's the philosophy. Practically speaking, this minor servant is acquired by drawing him close. Even though it was not by pushing him, because this is a minor servant, the law will be more similar to that of the acquisition of other entities. Now he segues into when somebody buys an animal, somebody buys a sheep or a goat or an ox or a horse. At what point in time does one acquire and is the sale done? And you can't say, never mind, I'm having buyer's or seller's remorse. That's the issue here in this chapter. Because remember, if they both agree, then it's no problem. The problem is if somebody has seller's or buyer's remorse. Have a hang on animal. Bain daco, whether a small animal like a goat or a sheep or what have you. Bain daco, a large animal like a horse or a cow or a bull. How does one acquire the animal so that they can't be buyer's or seller's remorse? Nicknase is acquired. Be Meshicha, simply through the act of Meshicha pulling the animal towards you. So you take the animal and you pull it <laughs> towards you. Ah, Papi, even though in some cases, such as the case of a small animal, a sheep or a goat, you can lift it up in our world. You buy a dog, you can lift up the dog. Lifting up is also very, very good. However, the Torah law does not require one to lift up a goat or a sheep, even though technically one can. Why? Because we don't want the animal to receive a blow and to get hurt when it's put back down on the ground. So therefore we're concerned. Why hurt the animal? Better to pull the animal than to lift him up and then, as we place the animal down, do it in a hard manner where the animal can feel the blow. And this is another example, I believe, where the Torah is concerned with sensitivity, cruelty to animals. But if he did lift up the animal, Kona, he acquires it. Now, as a rule, lifting up an object, Kona is an act of acquisition, anywhere and everywhere. One of the best forms of acquisition is simply to lift. So you want to give me something, you want to sell something to me, I want to buy something, I want to accept something from you, I lift it up. If that's the deal, then that makes up the sale, the sale final. But pulling the animal, for example, towards us, 
This sometimes works and sometimes doesn't work. And let me just introduce this idea. It's a very interesting idea. When I'm lifting something up, I am my domain. So when I lift this up, I have lifted it up, it's mine. Where am I standing when I do it? It makes no difference. In your yard, in my yard, on Ventura Boulevard, on the freeway, it makes no difference. I have lifted it up. It's my domain. However, I'm a shikha, pulling the animal towards you is a problem because it only works in a private domain or semi-public domain. In a public domain, it's not your domain. And Kenyan Bobby do not acquire it with Mashiach with pulling Ella Bisimta in the corner of a public domain called a Simta. Or in a yard that belongs to both of them, it's mine and yours. Never in a public domain, or in a yard that does not belong to both of them. That Mashiach does not work. Now, Mashiach, which means pulling the animal towards you, is not simple. Vote. Six. How does one acquire an animal through pulling it towards you? The best situation would be, needless to say, if the buyer pulled it. And it followed. That's great. That's ideal. Or the buyer rode the animal. It's a horse. He gets on the horse and rides the horse. Get it up, horsey. And he goes. That's a wonderful act of acquisition. With the case of an animal, even if he called the animal. Come here, Rover. Rover was his horse's name. No, just kidding. Or he swats it with a stick, as one does to an animal. Animals have thick skin, so hopefully a light swat won't cause pain. Then also before it goes, it runs. The litmus test is, did the animal move, uproot its forefoot and its hind foot? If it did, he acquires it. Because he caused it to move by pulling, by riding, or by calling. Provided that all of this is done in the presence of the owner. But if he does this, in the, not in the presence of the owner, not in the presence of the owner, it only is an act of acquisition, provided that the owner said to him, before he does it, before he pulls it, go, pull the animal towards you, make the animal walk, make the animal move, and acquire it by this act. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Zion, what if somebody sells a flock? Many sheep, many goats, many animals, many cows, many horses. A whole herd, or a flock, to his fellow, he gives it as a gift. Being that he gives him that which the Rambam refers to here. A phrase from Halacha. He gives him the mashkuchis. What's the mashkuchis? It's the animal, which goes at the head of this flock, at the head of this herd, because there's always a lead animal. Everybody, all the animals follow. So if you have the lead animal, you know the other animals are going to follow. So you have to acquire the lead animal. They all follow. Once he gave him the mashkuchis, the lead animal, he doesn't have to tell him, pull and acquire. Because handing over this lead animal, it's if he told him, go, pull and acquire. That's what the lead animal is all about. And as soon as he pulled the lead animal, and thereby pulling the whole flock, the whole herd, he acquires the apple piece of Moshe even though he did it not in the presence of the seller. What if somebody says to his fellow, pull this animal toward you, you will acquire a chazek, or do an act of acquisition, and you will acquire or any other similar word. And the buyer went, and he pulled, and Shehazek did an act of acquisition. He does not acquire. Why? Because there was a problem with the language. Because the language of go and do an act of acquisition, go and pull, it connotates futuristic. When we're ready, you'll go and you'll pull. But really, he didn't convey it. Rather, the seller or the donor has to say to him, because we learned earlier the same applies to gifts. He has to command, go, do an act of acquisition and acquire. And go, pull, and acquire. Or similar. With similar words. Their connotation is, acquire now, but at the time that he pulls it, or does an act of acquisition. Now we come to some interesting laws. We learned the parallel laws to these laws in other situations earlier. Very interesting. If one person says to another, pull this cow. You want to buy my cow, or I want to get my cow to you? Pull it. But they seek now, however, you're not going to acquire it. Allah has until 30 days are up. I want to convey my cow to you. But I need it for the next 30 days. In 30 days, it'll be yours. Make an act of acquisition now, you'll get it in 30 days. Omar Shachan, he did exactly that. He does not acquire it. Because a lot of things could happen in 30 days. However, the Omar, if he told him, acquire from this moment. But it should not take effect until after 30 days. The acquisition is happening now. Effective 30 days later. Ah, that's different. He acquires. 
Even if 30 days later the cow is nowhere to be seen, it's out in the swamp somewhere, it's in Hawaii. Makes no difference because the acquisition happened 30 days earlier. But it kicks in. I guess in, in, in my head it's like an escrow. The escrow closed. The deal is done now. Altenai. On a, connected to a condition, conditional. What's the deal? When somebody gives you something conditionally. Now, when the condition is fulfilled, this guy in my kingdom, then the acquisition is completed. So that's the famous halachic word, me'achshav, from now. Now says the Ramah from halachah, al-menas. A similar word would be al-menas, which is on the condition. When somebody says al-menas, ka'emer, me'achshav, dami, says if he said me'achshav. The closing paragraph of this chapter 10. If somebody sells an animal to his fellow, or Nisan Ali gave it to him as a gift, the young man he said, I want you to go acquire this animal, the way people acquire this animal. Do it the right way. So, what is the right way? What is the way people acquire? In Moshach, if he pulled the animal towards him, which we said earlier is a good form of acquisition, provided that it meets the requirements we talked about earlier. He'd be already lifted it up. It's his. It's an acquisition. Abel, however, in what if he rode the animal? And we learned earlier that riding the animal is a form of pulling it sometimes. In Basodet, it was in the field, he acquires it. Because it's normal for people to ride animals on riding paths in the field. But if it's on Ventura Boulevard, you don't see too many people riding animals on Ventura Boulevard. Maybe a Fort Pinto, if you're old enough to remember. Lake he does not acquire because people don't ride animals normally in the city. What do you do in the city? You walk animals. Because normal people don't ride in the city. And he said, do it the way people do it. Therefore, you know who rides in the city? A VIP. He was a big macher. A very important person. Who rides even in the city? Or, you know, there's another person who rides in the city. A person who doesn't care about his dignity. A lowly person. A base person. Who doesn't care that he's not doing as the prevailing custom would require. Again, for example, a person who is a person who raises animals or who trains servants. These are people who are not very concerned with, they are, with their reputation. Or another example would be if a woman rides the animal, because a woman, he says here in the note, is not as strong as a man and will have more control over an animal when riding it than when leading it. Although there is debate in general whether it's appropriate for a woman to ride an animal in a public setting with modesty laws. Or it was in a public domain, where the public goes, treads, and he's a king of the Then the riding also acquires, because we learned earlier, that under certain circumstances, riding is a form of pulling. The who should the way, provided that the riding causes the animal actually to go. If the person says, giddy up, giddy up, the animal isn't going anywhere, then this is not a form of acquisition. End of chapter two. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilchai the laws of Mechira, selling. Hedek Shlishi, chapter three. This is a fascinating law, my friends. Echad whether it's an animal that one is acquiring by sale or gift. or any other movable objects, not realistic, but movable objects. Niknin are acquired simply through payment. Din Torah, by Torah law, by Torah law, you want to buy a camera, you want to buy a table, you want to buy a chair, you want to buy headphones, you pay for it and it's yours. When Misha Nosan, Esamois, once the buyer gives the seller the money, show me the money, he acquires it. It's a done deal. And even if somebody says, I'm having buyer's remorse, I'm having seller's remorse, doesn't help, by Torah law. No one can retract. No one can have remorse. That's by Torah law. However, our sages instituted a rabbinic law overriding this Torah law. And in these situations, rabbinic law can override Torah law. Avel, however, chachonim, our sages, kick the ordained, that the buyer or recipient of gift should not acquire this object, this movable object, unless he lifts it up. That's the preferable form of acquisition we learned in chapter 2. Or by pulling an object, that is not usually lifted like a large animal. Now, I'm going to give us, you, a peek ahead. Why would our sages have done this? What's wrong with the Torah law? You pay the money, it's yours. The answer is explained in paragraph 5, but I'm not going to ask you to have the patience to wait till paragraph 5. I'm going to give you a glimpse ahead of time. The answer is our sages were concerned that the buyer is going to purchase an object from the seller. He's going to pay for it. My Torah law belongs to him. Delivery has not taken place. So where is the object? In the domain of the seller. 
And then an emergency happens, an accident happens, thieves come in, a fire breaks out, the seller says, hey, I'm busy. I don't have time. This isn't even my object anymore. It's sold. I don't need to save it. Say our sages, you bet you do. Because the Torah said money acquires. Our sages say money and delivery acquires. Because they saw too many situations where the seller took advantage of the fact that although it's in his backyard, it's not his. He'd rather save his own stuff first. What is that? That's called human nature. But now that our sages say it's not his yet, boy, is the seller going to save it. That's paragraph 5. Paragraph 2, takes out, for example, what did our sages actually ordain in this fantastic law? It's not enough to pay to acquire irrevocably. And again, we're always talking about a situation where only one has remorse. Obviously, they can both agree to whatever they want to. On the comics, eight, if one gathers wood, a piston or flax, who creates a or anything similar, the awesome man trained Godo, and he puts together a heavy load. She actually be a load that's so heavy you can't pick it up, unless you're a forklift. But if you're not a forklift, you can't pick it up. Ain't a nikna Still, it's not acquired through pulling. Even though you can pull it, but you can't lift it. Why? Because it is conceivable. You untie the load. And to quickly do an act of acquisition to each piece of wood. Anything similar. So just a little symbolic tug is not enough to really acquire. But, for example, here is where it is enough. It was a load of nuts. Or 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 By the time you finish lifting up every nut, it could be next year. And this load of nuts or almonds or what have you, or peppers, were so big that one person can't lift it. It's not like a box. It's a, a truckload. This can be acquired through simply pulling the box, the crate, or what have you. Why? If we require undoing the load with wood and flax and lifting up every bunch of pieces, why can't you do it with nuts or almonds or peppers? Because if Shemyatira, the minute he undoes the load, he's part, it's going to be all over the place. It's going to be a big bother. So it depends how bothersome it is. The halacha would prefer that it's lifted up. You can lift it up, you can also pull it. What about a ship, a boat? Hasfina, a boat. A big ship. Let's say I want to buy the Queen Elizabeth or the Queen Mary. I go lift it up. Just kidding. The answer like it's impossible to pick up a ship or a boat. All right, so you try and pull it. Yeah, right. You try and pull it. To pull a boat, a big boat is like, I mean, wow, it's at best difficult. Difficult to impossible. You need a whole team to pull the boat. Our sages did not require the pulling. Certainly you can't lift the boat. You can't even pull the boat. Is there a better way? Is there another way? Yes, only in situations where the other is impossible. What's that way called? And here we're introducing a new manner of acquisition. And there's going to be a test. Whoever doesn't pass the test doesn't get to have refreshments. Just kidding. One can hand over the rope. A boat has a rope attached to it. An animal has reins attached to it. This is called misira. You hand over the lead rope. Anything similar. And if the seller says to the buyer, go, pull and acquire. He does not acquire the boat until he pulls the whole boat out of its previous space. Somebody has to take it out of its space where it was. Because in this case, the seller was specific. Or as somebody I know says, specific. He should only acquire with pulling. Although we just learned, he can just give him the rope. <coughs> he says, no, pull. All right, you got to pull it out of its space. Dalit, Nimtso Islam, so we learn, Shalikeh, Metalpun, that anybody that acquires purchases movable objects. Although he paid all the money, he bought a thousand dollar purchase. He paid a thousand dollars. They shook on it, he paid. They hugged, they kissed. Yachal Azabe, he could regret, he could have remorse. So also, not only the buyer, the seller, Yachal Azabe, he could have remorse. Achi until he lifts it up. It's one option of acquisition. A Yimshach, he pulls, something that's too heavy or can't be lifted. Hey, there's a third option we learned so far. Yimser, Hamlechel, Lekeach. The seller should hand the rope over, Mesira, to the buyer. Dover, an object, Shaykh, Dakalaham, which can't be pulled, like a boat. Once he lifts up an item that can be lifted up, or he pulled over an item, which cannot be lifted up usually, or the lead rope or reins were conveyed, something that can't be pulled, like a boat, he acquires. That's a form of acquisition. Nobody could change their mind. And we force the buyer to give the money, even if he didn't pay the money, which means that the act of acquisition is more powerful than payment. If you did one of these acts of acquisition, it's a done deal. So therefore, what we just learned is, interestingly enough, that if somebody, if a buyer says to a seller, you want to buy my uh, whatever, and the seller says yes, and the, buyer, the, buyer, the seller says to the buyer, you want to buy my whatever? The buyer says yes, he pays in full. They can both change their minds. Even if the seller finds somebody who pays them a better price. Even if the buyer found it cheaper. 
until the act of acquisition is done. Once the act of acquisition is done, there's no backing out, even if the payment was not made. Now, I do want to point out something very important, which we deal with later, but I'm going to point it out now so that we have to, we have to know this. It's not nice when a buyer and a seller make a deal and money is exchanged. It's not nice to back out. It's disgusting. Possible. For the reason we're going to learn in paragraph 5, but not nice. And therefore, we're going to learn in chapter 7, 1 and 2, the following. That if somebody paid money and did not yet acquire the object, anyone who has remorse, the deal was done. I bought a truckload of I don't know what for $10,000, paid the money. Somebody who changes his mind, whether it's a buyer or a seller, did not act in the Jewish way. You know, before the world became so dishonest, there used to be a tradition in the diamond district that you sell a diamond verbally, you say mazal, and that's it. And and, and you, you don't... There's no changing your mind. Mazal. Done deal. Which means that there has to be some kind of ethics, some kind of a bond. My word is my bond. Yes, for the purpose of what we learned in paragraph 5, our sages instituted a different rule, but it's not nice. So therefore, although we say he can have remorse, who? Either the buyer or the seller. For whatever reason, it's not a nice thing. Now, everybody here knows what a Mishaberach is. A Mishaberach is a prayer we say in a, in a holy place, usually at the Torah. We say, God, who blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, may he bless you, whatever blessing we give. What is the opposite of a Mishaberach? Not everybody knows this. And we shouldn't know from it. The opposite of a Mishaberach is a Mishapora. Mishapora. Means he who punished and paid back the bad guys in the generation of the flood, the generation of the Tower of Babel, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Egyptians who drowned Jews in the sea. May he take retribution from you, from so-and-so, who doesn't keep his word. Then if he wants to, he can change his mind. So I just want you to give you a little glimpse as to what's coming. Yes, regret and buyer's remorse and seller's remorse is possible, but it's not nice. Okay, now why? What's wrong with the Torah law? You paid the money, it's final. Hey, here comes the answer, which I gave you a glimpse of earlier. Why did our sages ordain this rule of you have to acquire, even though money was paid in order for it to be? Non-returnable, non-retractable, Zeta, there's a decree. We're concerned that the buyer will pay for an object in full. The Kedem Shikha, before he takes delivery, yea, but it will be lost behind us. So an act that no one is at fault at. He mentioned up the lake like a fire broke out. The Nisrachan, it was burned in the fire. I bowled this and more bandits came. When it's alone, robbed it. It's going to have entered into the domain of the buyer who is in Miami and the buyer is in Los Angeles. The seller will take his time. He'll go manana. Manana is a Yiddish word in Southern California. It means Morgan. He's not going to save it. Why should I save it? It's not mine. Our sages placed this object by the power that they have in the domain of the seller. Why? Our sages say only at the point of delivery has full acquisition taken place. Because our sages wanted the seller, or in the case of a gift, the donor, to move and to save the object. Why should he move? Because if it gets lost in this emergency, in this tragedy, you have to pay. You sold me this truckload. Yes, it burned down, but you could have saved it. You couldn't have saved it. It's no difference. It's not mine until I take delivery. So now the Rambam wraps it up and says, Nintu so we conclude. If somebody actually pays the full money of the purchase, and an accident happens, out of control situation, before he takes delivery, and the buyer says, I know your warehouse burned down. I know the fireman said they never saw a fire like that. I know it was for a lightning strike. The buyer says, give me my purchase. I'll take my money back. There are witnesses who say that whatever happened was not the seller's fault. There's nothing you could have done about it. And the seller couldn't save it. The money has to be returned. Because the ordinance of our sages is, although for a reason, applicable even when the reason doesn't exist. The people, therefore, in basis, now, still, the plot thickens. What if the house of the buyer, in which this object exists, which was sold, is rented to the seller, which means the seller is living in my rental. Well, it's not so simple. Here our sages didn't insist on taking delivery. Because it's already in my domain, even though the owner of the property gives his domain over to the renter. But still, it's the domain. When he gave the money, the purchase is fully acquired, and nobody could retract and have buyers or sellers remorse. Why? Well, the buyer broke out. Well, you own the whole building. You could have saved it, maybe. So that's the exception. When the seller is living in the rental of the buyer. Similar exception. If somebody leases or rents the place where those movable objects are sitting, he also acquires it because the buyer now rents the place. 
Nobody could regret. Nobody could have remorse. Now, officially, he lifted up and washed it in public. It wasn't handed over. It was done in his domain. We already explained. Chapter 1, we explained that just as acquisition of real estate is done through one of three ways money, contract, or active acquisition, so also rental of property. Now, we segue into another form of kinyan, of acquisition. So far, we learned a bunch of forms of acquisition. We learned hagbo, we learned lifting up, we learned mashicha, pulling, we learned masira, handing over the reins. Now we're going to learn agav. Agav means in addition to, on top of something else, as a byproduct of the other thing. Hamaknev, somebody conveys or transfers ownership of part of real estate. And we learned earlier the system of real estate transfer. Kesef, money, star, document. Or chazaka, or doing something to establish ownership. Here, he's trying to transfer property, real estate, and portable objects at the same time. Real estate and movable objects at the same time. What do I need to do? Do I need to do a separate deal for the real estate and a separate deal for the, for the movables? Being that the buyer or recipient acquires the real estate, the Kesef with one of the modes of acquisition of real estate, either payment, or contract, or with a mode of acquisition, there's a special deal, and that is the movable objects sitting on that real estate are also acquired. Wow. This is called Agav. The movable objects go along with the real estate. Now, this is not a simple law, but it is a law. There's a lot of conditions. This is called, again, Kinyan Agav, an acquisition of Agav. Whether they were both a sale, or they were both a gift. Or he sells movable objects with Nosan Karka and granted as a gift the real estate, or vice versa, he sold the real estate. Nosan Metalplin gave the movable objects, Kivan Shikona Karka being that he acquires the real estate. In the Agav process, Kona Metalplin now acquires the movable objects as well. Now, Kondi, not always. The caveats, the conditions. When does this apply? Those movable objects were piled up on the real estate. The movable objects you're trying to acquire with the real estate is in a different place. The real estate is in Los Angeles County, the movable objects are in Madura County. So he has to actually say to him verbally, acquire the movable objects in Victoria County with the real estate you're acquiring in Los Angeles County. Even if the movable objects were in a different country, even if they were in Vietnam, even if he acquired tea in China, all the tea in China, and the real estate is in New Jersey, it's fine. The as long as he said to him, acquire them, as an adjacent act, a secondary acquisition to the real estate. Once he acquires the real estate with one of the modes of acquisition talked about in chapter 1, the movable objects are also acquired. Even though the movable objects are not piled up on the real estate because the key is in China and the real estate is in New Jersey. But if he did not verbally state the words, acquire by virtue, as an extension of your acquisition of the real estate, like he does not acquire. This has to be specified. How big does the real estate have to be? The answer is any size. The smallest amount of real estate is fine. Or you could do the acquisition of a large quantity of movable properties. Now, as always, the plot thickens. Hikna said that what if he wants to convey transfer of ownership of the field to one person? Yet, persons A, B, and C. Mr. A wants to convey the real estate to Mr. B. Ramatalpunlach wants to convey the portable object to Mr. C. What's the relationship between A and B and C? Nada. Moonish. Nothing. Even though he said to him, Mr. A said to Mr. C, Kinei Ramatalpun acquired these movable objects, Algabe Karka, by virtue of the real estate that Mr. B is acquiring. Mr. B did an act of acquisition to the real estate as discussed in chapter one. But this is Mr. C we're talking about. Mr. B. I'm sorry, Mr. C does not acquire the movable objects. What good does it do if Mr. B is acquiring property? Not the same guy. Actually, this is a debate in the Talmud. An unresolved debate. What have we learned consistently? Whenever there's an unresolved debate, the property, the object, does not belong to the recipient. But if he grabs it, we also can't take it away from him. Therefore, he says, What if he grabbed them? After the conveyor, Mr. A. Mr. A conveyed them. He said to Mr. C, you take this. It's yours. The sale is done. How am I going to acquire it? With the property that Mr. B is acquiring. And then he later changes his mind. So Mr. C goes and grabs the, 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 the portable property. And we see in the other day, we don't remove it. Because he grabbed the object after this acquisition, based upon the real estate of someone else, was done. Our sages are unsure whether that works or not. And therefore, whenever it's an unsure situation, if the object is actually taken, it's not removed. You now moving right along. I'm not going to have somebody conveys transfer of abodim, of servants. And real estate at the same time. 
Now, although on the one hand we say that the acquisition of servants are similar to the acquisition of real estate, avodim kekarka, servants are like real estate in the acquisition rule. Nevertheless, in other ways they're not, because they're human beings and they have free will. And therefore it's not simple. So if somebody wants to convey avodim, servants and karkois and land to echad simultaneously, hechzik ba'avodim, by doing an act of acquisition, as we learned earlier, to the servant, lekona karkois, the real estate cannot be acquired along with the servant. It doesn't work. Hechzik be'karkois, if he does an act of acquisition to the real estate, lekona avodim, he does not acquire the servant. That also doesn't work. Even though we just learned that real estate does acquire portable objects, not servants. The Agav rule doesn't work here. Unless the servants are standing on that real estate. If they're standing on that real estate, that's something else. Even though he said, acquire the servants by virtue of your acquisition of the real estate, like Connie does not acquire until the servants are actually on that property. Why is that? Why? It could be many, many, many truckloads of objects could be acquired, Agav, and servants cannot. The answer is a very important rule in Torah. Because a servant, despite whatever ramifications he might face, in whatever society he finds himself in, he has free will. He's his own man. He does what he wants to. And therefore, the fact that he's on the real estate, and therefore, the fact that he is intended to be acquired with real estate somewhere else, it doesn't work. Moving right along, what if somebody wants to convey ownership of servants and movable objects simultaneously? Now, we already learned real estate and movable objects can be done. We already learned real estate and servants could be done provided they are on that real estate. Now, the question is, what about servants and movable objects? Moshe Hamatopoulin, if he pulls and acquires the movable objects, lo, kona abodim does not acquire the servants. Hechzik ba'abodim, if he acquires the servants in a manner stated earlier in the previous chapter, like kona abodim, he does not acquire the movable objects. Elim kain, unless, ha'yu ha'metalkulin, al-gabdei ho'evin, unless the movable objects were sitting on the servant. Vehu, provided that, she'i akofos, that the servant can't move, he's bound. Because if he can move, remember, he has free choice, he can move. Shari'eni yachalalach, in this particular case, he can't move. Yudgimol convey? An animal and the utensils upon the animal simultaneously. Cow and stuff on the cow. A dog and his doggy coat. Although the buyer or the recipient pulls and tugs the animal and acquires it, as we learned earlier, that acquisition does not acquire the utensils upon the animal. Unless he lifts up or pulls the utensils themselves. If pulling works when it's not usually lifted. Why is this? Why can't one simply acquire the movable objects on the animal? Here we come to an interesting rule, principle in halacha. Why, for example, does my courtyard, my backyard acquire? The answer is because there's a halacha that says it's my backyard, and if it's security, whatever comes into my backyard, if I want to, and the donor or seller wants to, it requires. We learned that from the laws of a get. Okay, so why is my animal, why is my cow, why is my horse different than my backyard? Aha! Because an animal is like a moving backyard. Imagine if your backyard moved. Living in Southern California, that's a scary idea. And that which is on the animal is not acquired by the owner of the animal, because it's moving, it's not stationary. Even in the laws of yards, we say it has to be secure. This is a moving yard. Because the animal was tied down. In that case, it's no longer moving. The animal can, by virtue, extend to the acquisition of the utensils as well. If the person affecting the transfer says, pull my animal, and acquire the utensils upon it as well. I'm sorry, I have to correct myself. Pull my animal and acquire the utensils that are upon it. Being that he has no intention of giving the animal just as an avenue for acquisition. Even though the buyer went, he pulled it. It doesn't help. He doesn't acquire the utensils upon it. Until he pulls the utensils themselves. Why? Because he's not acquiring the animal. Now, for the last few paragraphs here, the last, I think it's four paragraphs, we go into a very interesting law. By way of an introduction to this law, and I want to just have a drink first, but I am, it's a lemon water. In halacha, in law, in Jewish law, we learned this earlier extensively. We now touch upon it again. There is called, something called a pot for a plant, a potted plant, a plant pot, for example. Right here, outside Chabad of Encino, where we are right now, there are a bunch of pots that hold plants because they're sitting on concrete. And yet we wanted to have plants there. And that has a rule of what? Of nothing. It's just a pot with a plant. But if the pot is sitting on the earth and it has a hole under it, this is called in halacha, atzitz, nokuv, a pot 
for a plant. With a hole, it's considered the earth, it's considered real estate. Why? Because as anybody who ever planted knows, it sucks vitality from the ground. That's why they do it. Therefore, halakhically speaking, the pot, the pot that holds the plant with the hole is called real estate. The pot that holds the plant without the hole is called movable object. One guy had a flower pot with a hole in it. What's that? Real estate. And the plants in it belong to someone else. Mr. A owns the pot with the hole. Mr. B owns the stuff growing in the pot. He can now what if he wants to convey transfer of the pot with a hole in it to the owner of the plants. Keep it being that he pulled it. He made Meshicha, he pulled it towards him, he acquires it. So now the owner of the plant now owns the pot as well. He can what if the opposite is intended to happen? The plants within the pot wants to, he wants to convey them to the owner of the pot, like he does not acquire. Because the plants are movable. I'm sorry. Until he acquires the plants themselves. I was wrong about what I said. Since the plants derive their nature from the ground, as mentioned above, they are considered to be landed property. And you can't acquire landed property through pulling. Remember, the flower pot with the hole in it is real estate. So here, the idea is <clears throat> that you want to give that which is growing in this flower pot with a hole in it to the owner of the flower pot. What is the item growing in the flower pot with a hole in it? Considered real estate. Real estate is not acquired with with pulling. Actually, we have to make a as we learned earlier in the item itself, as if it was real estate. What if the pot with the hole in it and the greenery in it belongs to one person? He conveys everything. He wants to convey everything to another person. Mr. A wants to take his flower pot with a hole in it, his plants in it, and convey it to Mr. B. The Hasik bought it and he makes a chazoka. That's what you do in real estate. Liknes to purchase Hazroyim, the vegetation within it. Not only does he not acquire the vegetation, he does not even acquire the plot, the pot, because he is treating the vegetation like real estate. What if he makes a chazaka in the vegetation? Which is what you're supposed to do because it's real estate. He now acquires the pot, which is just a vessel. And this is what we learned, and this is an important rule. Objects one owns that do not have liability for one's debts. That's another way of saying movable objects. Because my real estate goes along with my debts. If I borrow money by Torah law, a lien goes on all of my real estate, not my movable objects. I think my bank sees it differently. Objects that do not take on liability, meaning movable objects, are acquired in the with possessions that do take on liability, which means real estate. Portable, movable objects can be acquired with real estate. Because anything growing in this pot, in this pot with a hole in it, is considered sown to the ground. Anything attached to the earth, is real estate. As we explained, whereas the pot is just a pot. We explained. We talked earlier that anything that's ready to harvest is considered as if it's harvested. So therefore, it cannot be acquired with the real estate because it's done. It must be lifted. Another mode of acquisition, which portable objects are acquired with. Youth has the closing paragraph of this chapter. Pishon flax. When the flax is attached to the earth, to the ground. But it's now dried out. It no longer needs the soil. It's done. He said to him, If the owner tells another person, clean up a small piece of property, and then acquire coal, everything on it. Being that he harvested or pulled off even a little bit, it all goes into this condition. Which means that once he uproots even the slightest amount, the slightest amount of flax from the land, doing so is considered a chazaka, enabling him to finalize the rental of the field so that they work together. But if he conveyed the flax through sale or gift, he only acquired that which he plucked, because that which he lifted up is his. He doesn't acquire as an extension of the land which we talked about before. This was done through the acquisition of Kenyan, of lifting. So also everything similar meaning. The rule here is that real estate, by means of, by virtue of the real estate, can acquire movable objects. Almost in an unlimited fashion, but lifting up and movable object can only acquire that which you lift up. End of chapter three.